Hi, welcome back. I'm going to begin this episode by paraphrasing a little story that's been passed down through the ages and credited to a man named Aesop. He was a slave and a storyteller believed to have lived in ancient Greece between the 7th and 6th century BCE. The story is a fable that concerns a group of mice who debate plans of how to nullify the threat of a cat that's been terrorizing their village. One of them proposes placing a bell around the cat's neck so that they're warned whenever it approaches. The plan is welcomed as genius and applauded by all the other mice until one mouse asks who's going to volunteer to place the bell on the cat. All of them make excuses why they cannot be the mouse to bell the cat. Here's the moral of the story. It's one thing to say that something should be done, but quite a different matter to do it. In this episode, we're going to be talking to you about the cat. Howard County, number one. Oh my God. Ma'am, what's going on? We are at Dean Hollow in Old Elkin City on Frederick Road. The water is above the doors coming in the building. We need somebody to come in. The first, the first thing I remember is like, oh my gosh, the water is up to the balcony on Obla D. Hello? Hi, this is 911. Somebody from this number just called and hung up. Is everybody okay? No, there's water in my store. It's flooding in Ellicott City. The threat of a flood had become the new normal on Main Street. The, the, next, the door next door won't open. We can't get out the back and there's a lot of water. It's We're rolling our dice on a storm-by-storm -storm basis. Okay, well, are we going to die, ma'am? I just got so... <laughs> no, honey, I'm going to do my best so that does not happen, okay? You want me to stand in the line with you for a minute? Jane? Jane? This is Ellicott City. Historic town, historic water. I know what some of you are saying. So Howard, what's up with the fable? Well, besides the fact that it's my favorite fable of Aesop, it reminds me that we've gotten all the way through six episodes without really talking about the biggest player in this whole situation. Mother Nature, the weather, the precipitation that's been causing these floods in Ellicott City in the first place. Too much discussion of the solution without understanding the problem creates the same conundrum as belling the cat. Now let me be clear, if you've been listening to this podcast, you should understand that I do not believe that that's been the case in the decision-making process in Howard County. Really, on the contrary, everybody I've interviewed from county officials to historic preservationists seem to be very well informed. But as far as this podcast is concerned, it's about time we discuss the weather and emergency management. The rest of this episode is going to be two interviews I had with people who are expert in both subjects. 
The first is going to be Jason Elliott. He's the senior service hydrologist and flooding expert for the National Weather Service, Baltimore, Washington forecast office. I sat down with him at National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's facility in Sterling, Virginia. They're also known as NOAA. Okay, I'm here with Jason Elliott. Uh, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. As you know, I'm doing a podcast about Ellicott City and the flooding that's at least the 2016 and 2018 floods that are there. And so I thought it would be a good idea, since we're talking about a weather event, to talk to somebody who is an expert in that uh, area and who looks at rainfall and precipitation in the area. So first, can you kind of tell us what you do here? Sure. I'm the senior service hydrologist here. Um, in that role, I'm kind of the flooding expert and sort of oversee the program in the office and also help train the meteorologists who do it on a routine basis when I'm not here. Uh-huh. So you train them to forecast, is that what it is? To forecast flood potential, um, forecast rainfall, which they do anyway, and then also to provide the warnings that we provide to the public, because it's our job to warn the public, hopefully in advance, when flooding is expected to occur. So, in layman's terms, (laughs) what is it that happens, what do you see that lets you know that, hey, this might not be just a regular rain event, this might be a flooding situation? So what we're really looking for is there to be a lot of water essentially in the atmosphere, a lot of moisture in the atmosphere, so that there's a great potential that that moisture in the atmosphere has to come down. And if it's in the correct area, then that's that's problem number one. Problem number two are places that are more susceptible to flooding in the first place, places that are near streams, populations and buildings that are near streams, which of course Ellicott City applies to that. Mm -hmm. And then we're also looking at things like topography, for there to be additional issues. So those those three things together, along with has it already been raining? Um, what we call it antecedent conditions is the fancy term, but it's just how are things before it ever rains? Is it already wet? Is the soil already, are you, if you're, are you stepping already into the soil and just going down a foot into the ground because the soil is so, so moist? So th- those are all things that we are taking into consideration. And then on the day of, it's really look at it in real time. Where's the rain falling? Is it moving? Is it not moving? Um, And our radar, thankfully, will estimate how much rain is coming out of these things. So if it's not moving and it's already been raining an inch in an hour, we can then say it's going to rain another inch the next hour, and that helps us get the warning out because we can kind of predict in a really short-term fashion how much rain is going to fall. Now, you have state-of-the-art stuff here. This is the, the best that's around. So what kind of lead time have you been able to I know everything is different, every situation is different, but on average, if you can give me an average, what kind of lead time can you give a a location for this type of flooding event? That's the really challenging part, even even still. The science is still just in its infancy with getting advance notice out. We're getting pretty good at being able to tell it's going to be a bad day somewhere, Mm -hmm. even a day in advance. But to say it's going to be a bad day in this particular spot it's really difficult to do even even an hour or two in advance, let alone more than that. So it's, it's a situation where it's really every minute counts and you may just have minutes to react. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, with a location like Ellicott City, especially, that uh, knows that if they are the location, something bad can happen. A day in advance is good, even though it might not happen. It's at least good to keep your eye out and, to and know that's, that. That's kind of what we've been stressing to the folks in Howard County that, emergency management and places like that is that 
having that knowledge that today could be a bad day for you somewhere, and then maybe it doesn't happen, but at least they're on more heightened alert to be able to say, you know, today could be a bad day. We need to get our things, to, our, our people together and our assets together, and that, that's what they're doing now. So how do you coordinate with uh, emergency management? When you see it on the forecast, you give them a call. Is that the protocol? or We, we provide to all of our emergency managers a, a web page that they're able to go through and look at everything that we've put out there for a given day. We also have what's called the hazardous weather outlook that um, is even available to the public that explains what kind of hazards we expect in the next seven days. And then when we have something in that hazardous weather outlook, we specifically send all of our emergency managers an email that it delineates it even a little more and tells them where to go to look for additional information. So they get that email in advance of an event happening. Could be several days if we think there's a potential. And that allows them to kind of look into things. And then if they have more questions, they can come back and contact us and we can give them additional information. Is this something that we can expect to happen more frequently or is that the trend at least? It's tough to say. The, you know, the, the fact that this happened twice in two years in Ellicott City, it's... It's really a situation of, I hate to say luck or unluck, but it almost <laughs> is. This could happen again next year. It could happen not again for 50 years. It's just really tough to say. Um, I will say these kind of heavy rain events like we had in late May, for example, in Frederick in Ellicott City on the eastern shore, all those places had pretty similar rainfall events and similar significant flood events. Uh-huh. Um, it happens at least in one or two places in this region every year. So it's just a matter of it being in X place in that year. And in, unfortunately, in two years, Ellicott City was that place twice. For people who've been listening to the podcast and um, want to know about the 2016 flood that happened or in the 2018, or they, were they similar situations? Or what can you tell me about them? Well, I'll tell you, in both events, the way I've initially learned about it myself was on Twitter. Hmm. Um, and in fact, if you go back and look at the first post from the 2018 event, all the responses to it were, why are you posting something from two years ago? Because yeah. they looked exactly the same in the videos. Um, but they really weren't the same at all. Um, the 2016 event was a fairly long spread event. It rained for a couple or three hours, and it really looked the same in those videos for almost that entire time. The 2018 event, however, almost Everything you see on the video from Kaplan's down to the lower part of Main Street um, really happened in the first hour. Uh, so that all the damage was done from the first round of rain. There were two separate rounds of rain, and all that damage was done in the first round, and it was significantly less than what had happened back in 2016 that caused it, the amount of rain, that is. Um, then the second round of rain was the one that really looked like the 16 flood all the way down the street. Uh, by which time the damage was already done on the lower part of Maine anyway. So there, there were definitely differences. We're still looking into some of those differences. Um, the, the greatest thing to help us figure that out was the camera network that was put in and that was operational just a couple weeks before that event. Going back and looking at that footage was what really helped us understand that these were two totally different situations. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was like, this looks exactly the same. It's almost the same depth. These were the same event happening twice. And then after going back and reviewing the camera footage, we realized, no, they really are different events and there were different outcomes. Wow. That camera system that Jason mentioned, and and we've heard about it in previous episodes, it was conceived and put into place by Howard County resident and Ellicott City native, Ron Peters. 
As a matter of fact, if you've seen any video of recent flooding in Ellicott City, there's a good chance that it was captured by one of Ron Peters' cameras. I live in Summer Spring. Knock on wood, we're at a wood table here. We haven't had a flood where I live, uh, a significant flood at least. However, we, I always see these flood warnings. You know, I'm watching the 6 o'clock news, and they're saying we're under a flood warn watch, a flood warning, those types of things. What would you advice would you give to the public? Because I would imagine in a job like yours, it might be quite frustrating to uh, forecast these events and find that, that people still don't heed the call. So what would you say? We are, we are all vulnerable in some situation. It may not be at our homes. We, you know, we may live up on top of a hill. There may not have a flood problem where we live. But we all drive through a flood zone, almost all of us drive or travel through a flood zone to or from work, to or from school, to or from the grocery store, wherever it may be. Um, I, I can distinctly remember an event several years ago in College Park that um, actually happened in the morning, which is a strange time of day to have a flood in the first place. But there was significant heavy rain right over College Park in the morning, and there are cars floating down the street within 30 minutes of it starting to rain. And there was very little warning, but we were actually were able to get a little bit of warning time, lead time out of that. Uh, but it, it's a place that typically wouldn't flood. Um, there are parts of Ellicott City that have flooded recently that weren't in the area that typically floods. Um, you don't expect to see a whole lot of flooding in parts of Frederick County, Maryland that had the significant flooding back in May. So. Just because you're not in an area that typically floods doesn't mean that if one of these really massive rain events comes right over top of you, that there won't be a problem. So we're, we're all at risk. It's just the amount of risk varies depending on where you are. Yeah. Well, since doing the story, I've <laughs> I take those warnings a little bit more seriously, <laughs> you know, because I will say that I was guilty of just saying, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me, you know, so... Is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you uh, about hydrology or about rain, especially in the Mid-Atlantic or in Maryland, that uh, you think that the public should know about? I, I guess there are a couple things I can add. Uh, one is that I talked about those different combinations of factors, the topography, the, con the antecedent conditions, the streams running through a populated area. We've sort of done an analysis across the state of Maryland of places that fit all those criteria. There are quite a few, um, but one of the biggest ones is Ellicott City. Um, other places that come to mind would be Clear Spring out in Washington County. Obviously, Jones Falls in Baltimore is a big one. Uh, so there, there are lots of places like this. So it's important to sort of educate yourself a little bit on what's near you um, and what's near the places that you go. On, on a daily basis. The other, the other thing is that to heed those warnings, we, we take especially flash flood warnings very seriously. We don't just throw them out there if we don't think there's going to be a real life threatening situation. And we don't want to cry wolf too much either. So if we put one of those out there, we really think there's going to be a big problem for somebody. A lot of our flash flood warnings, except in a case like Ellicott City where it's flooding over tens of miles, a lot of them only affect one or two streams or one or two intersections. They don't affect a large area, and that's why a lot of people may say, well, you keep issuing these flash flood warnings, nothing's happening. Something's happening. It's just happening somewhere else. Right. You're, you're lucky enough that it's not you. Okay. All right. So when we, our weather person on whatever channel we're watching or listening to, 
says there's a flash flood warning, they usually got it from you. Those warnings come from our office, and yeah. if I'm here, then it would be most likely from me. Yeah, okay. All right, Jason Elliott, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely, thank you. Next, I spoke to Ryan Miller, Director of Emergency Management for Howard County. He's the official who plans and coordinates the efforts of first responders in the event of an emergency, like the floods of 2016 and 2018. Okay, I am here with Ryan Miller. Uh, Mr. Miller, t uh, tell us what you do, who you are. My name is Ryan Miller. I'm the Emergency Management Director for Howard County, Maryland. Okay. Uh, I'm speaking to you because I saw you at a symposium at UMBC where there were some meteorologists who told us about, about global warming and, and, and climate change and the conditions that uh, led to uh, the, the amount of water that Ellicott City saw in 2016 and earlier this year when there was flooding. What was your role in, let's go with to 2016 first, so the first flood. Right. When did you first learn that there was flooding actually happening? Sure. So my role as the emergency management director, our, our small team is responsible for developing uh, the plans for multi-agency response and recovery. And uh, while we are responsible for developing those plans, we're also responsible for executing the plan. So anything that's um, bigger than normal, you know, anything that's out of the ordinary, complex, uh, requires multiple agencies working together. Our office is often responsible for coordinating that response and working directly with the county executive to make sure that his policy direction is implemented. What that means on a practical level is uh, in 2016, um, pretty much a hazy, hot, and humid Saturday afternoon. Um, it uh, We were under a um, threat of thunderstorms, as we often are, on a July evening. And um, that storm system materialized, it started raining, and then it just kept raining. Uh, uh, I was at home at the time, uh, lived locally, saw that uh, you know the storm wasn't letting up. We have an on-call emergency manager system that works very closely with stormwater management, um, can get information from the National Weather Service, from the 911 center, and does the kind of the active coordination. And uh, at first, it looked like there, uh, uh, the storm was going to keep moving on and we weren't going to have any serious consequences, uh, but then um, we found out that uh, roads were beginning to uh, flood, the police department was beginning to close roads, uh, stormwater management indicated that their gauges suggested that uh, conditions were continuing to deteriorate, and I remember right before uh, when we decided it was time to activate the emergency operations center, which by the way is it's really a second line. You have first the 911 center that does all the live coordination. This is sort of a second tier response of coordination. Remember my wife said to me, well, how long are you going to be gone? <laughs> and uh, I remember saying to her, uh, this just looks different. I remember saying there is this, what I see on the radar just looks different. And so we've later learned from places like UNBC and the symposium is uh, what we saw there was called a back-building thunderstorm. It's a kind of a unique phenomenon. Um, the meteorologists are still studying it, but it was this thunderstorm that just kind of kept growing behind itself, and it wasn't going anywhere, um, similar to the storm that we had this past May. Uh, so uh, our role is to activate the operations center. We came in, um, and that was the beginning of a 
you know, our operations center was open around the clock for weeks uh, and then led into months and months and now almost two years of, of, of recovery work, you know, not to mention a second storm happening in the midst of that recovery. The Emergency Management Control Center was very impressive. Imagine a miniature NASA mission control with large video screens on the front wall, and they can monitor the cameras that Ron Peters installed through those video screens. Uh, I asked him about how that worked during the 2018 flood. We were told, and I believe everyone was under the impression, that the storm in 2016 was a thousand year storm. So the rain starts in, in May, on May 27th. When do you know that it's a different day? Sure. This, this one is different again. Sure. Well, we now know we work very closely with the National Weather Service in Sterling, Virginia. Jim Lee and his team uh, we're very close with. Uh, we know now not to call it a thousand-year storm. <laughs> uh, you know, from a probability standpoint, without getting into the uh, the mathematics of it, it's mm -hmm. the amount of rain that you might ex expect in a 24-hour period uh, is what drives this uh, where it plots on a on a probability curve. And so, yeah, it's one in a you know, you have a point. 1% chance of it happening in any given year. Um, uh, but from a practical standpoint, we now know that there have been, you know, close to a dozen storms this summer alone around the National Weather Service's forecast area that could have caused as much or worse damage in Oregon City. So um, you're right, you know, from a planning perspective, the, it's, a, it's a whole new different discussion. Uh, on the 27th, where was I? So again, uh, unusually it was a weekend. This time it was on a Sunday. Um, same system in place, the 911 center, they're on duty 24-7, 365. Uh, we go under a flash flood uh, watch. We engage with them. We're talking to the stormwater management team. Similarly, storm pops up, it starts raining, and uh, similar to before, just a little earlier in the evening, it just keeps raining and raining and raining and raining to the and again similar phenomenon as the one before storm kind of growing behind itself um, uh, we uh, in talking to the uh, National Weather Service and in talking to our own 911 center and stormwater um, sense that conditions were going to continue to deteriorate and our on-call emergency manager reached out to the weather service in Sterling you know one of the challenges is the weather service uh, doesn't have all of this uh, knowledge of these kinds of storms or uh, um, enough sensors, for lack of better terms, that the radar can only tell them so much. So what they call the ground truth of what's really happening is exceedingly important. When we backfed to them the actual field conditions, what was happening, they, uh, they said, okay, it's time to hit the flash flood warning. Um, uh, and that's when one of the alerts went out. Again, the mobile mobile phone alert, and according to the National Weather Service, that was a um, they believe that was a real game changer that allowed people to move out before the worst flooding came, which was really that second wave. Um, so, similar as before, we opened the emergency operations center, uh, police, fire, public works, uh, our public information team, the county executive, all come in, and uh, we get to work. And it goes on for days and days and weeks and weeks until we kind of shift into um, in different phases of recovery. So a lot was a lot was uh, a lot was the same, but some things were very different um, with this storm as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, 
we had a lot of the mechanics of what to do in the first hours and days because it had just we had just experienced it but for the same reasons it was very difficult uh, you know the community had just been traumatized by flooding less than um, you know less than two years prior and here it is happening again we we're celebrating near 97 percent business uh, recovery which is unprecedented and uh, here we were just kind of watching again on Ron Peters video kind of live watching it all being destroyed again so it was it was very hard um, not just you know for the community but I think for a lot of the people who are really celebrating its return so what words of wisdom would you have or what have you learned in dealing with this type of uh, emergency situation especially for uh, not necessarily elegant city because I'm, I'm sure you have your handle on that but for uh, any type of municipality that might be prone to flooding any advice that you would give somebody in your position because it would seem that you have some certain amount of expertise now <laughs> and as an emergency manager in dealing with this type of situation sure uh, the first lesson that we've learned I would say is one that we shared with we had the International uh, City Managers Association was in Baltimore a couple weeks back and they came out for a visit they brought a tour bus uh, out and through our economic development authority we gave them a, a walk around the town and one of the things these are mainly city managers I said to them when you get home uh, share with your emergency manager the value of um, reaching out to somebody who has gone through something like this before as quickly as possible uh, I call it just finding a buddy we were very fortunate early on to be connected with some folks around the country who had gone through similar disasters and their advice, kind of just-in-time advice, just-in-time consulting was invaluable to us. Uh, you can't discount the effect of uh, these sorts of disasters, not just on your community, but on all of the, um, uh, the responders. The, the compounding effect of the, of the stress is, is pretty significant, I think, on responders. And while they're maybe wired for it, they're trained to be in crisis situations. To get through a disaster, you end up reaching pretty far into parts of county government that never thought they would be involved in disaster response. And so there's a lot of vulnerabilities there that you've got to really have your eye uh, on and really looking out for your people. Uh, because it's probably the person that um, you know uh, that you, that that isn't front and center that's being uh, really impacted by the you know the long the long hours the feeling like the world's on their shoulders because of their particular role uh, and you know responders maybe are the ones that we focus on but there's a lot of people that are part of a disaster response that need to be looked out for as well. Is there anything you'd like? any listeners that live in Ellicott City or any of the nearby neighborhoods that uh, you would like them to know about emergency management here? Well, um, we appreciate their engagement. We just wrapped up National Preparedness Month a few days ago, uh, so we really enjoy interacting with our community. Uh, but I would say just the way, sort of uh, going back to your, uh, your previous question, um, we really appreciate the support of our community uh, we received letters, f uh, phone calls. I think the county executive opened a, uh, a, a package from a, from a, a student who sold, uh, had a lemonade stand that raised some money. 
um, you know, to, that that is what fuels us and keeps us going to get mm-hmm. through these things. So we really appreciate the community's support, the way they've uh, encouraged us to get through these couple disasters, uh, and um, you know, and the way that they support us. Thank you cards. We brought somebody brought a couple uh, boxes of cookies at one point. So um, That's it, it takes an entire community to get through this sort of thing. Yeah. All right, Director Miller, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I know that was a lot of information. But it's important and comforting, at least for me, to know that while the citizens of Howard County sort out the specifics of how they're going to address the deadly and destructive threat of flooding in Ellicott City, that the vigilant scientists of the National Weather Service and the brave first responders of the emergency management team stand at the ready to forecast, monitor, and alert, protect, serve, and save lives in the event that Mother Nature is not working on the same timetable we are. Next time on Ellicott City Historic Town, Historic Water, I meet somebody who experienced the 2018 flood on Main Street firsthand. I first heard her story when I interviewed Councilman John Weinstein, and she was gracious enough to share her experience with me. I'll leave you with a little bit of her story that the councilman told me that piqued my interest. Uh, the woman who owns the store was, was in the store, uh, and, um, and it was filling up with water and she couldn't get out because the, the water on the street. She, it's a clothing store. She strapped a leather belt to a, um, a, uh, a fire um, you know, sprinkler pole, uh, uh, pipe and was holding on to the thing to hold her head over water because it was up, up to her head in her, in her building. And, she, and it was filling up. And, and she had, the, the water wasn't leaving the building, so she had no way of getting out, mm-hmm. and she was almost underwater. Delicate City, Historic Town, Historic Water is a production of Capital News Service in Annapolis, Maryland. Original music is by Gordon Roberts. Our exit track is The Rain Song, written and performed by Voices 3. I'm Howard R. Fletcher. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.